one too. Uh, we're on the air. Well, uh, I'm glad to see all those that made it back out this afternoon. And uh, sorry about all the confusion. I'm one of those individuals that when an event occurs, I try to make sure that as it draws closer, I'm ready. I'm not ready for this one. <laughs> I'm not ready to take a trip yet, and uh, that's the way it goes. Let's take our Bibles, and let's go to the book of Colossians chapter 2. The uh, way I look at it is, if we're going to offend people, we might as well do it all together, shall we? So let's take Colossians chapter 2. We're going to look at the first ordinance that is given to the church. And again, I point this out to you because the fact is, is that when we look at ordinances, there's only two that is required of the church. The first ordinance that we know of is, of course, the ordinance of baptism. The second ordinance that we have is the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. Those are the only two that a church has to do. Uh, there have been many people that have tried to add ordinances. Uh, head covering at one time was trying to be added by many uh, Baptists saying, well, that has to be an ordinance. Well, it's not an ordinance because nowhere is the ordinance given to the church that infects only one group of people. And in the case, the head covering would only be to the women. There's also nothing that is ever given to us about uh, the ordinances of, of foot washing, as we made mention in our last service. Uh, because, you know, there's so many people that want to add that, uh, saying it is a way of fellowship. Well, yes it is, but again, you can do that almost any time. It has nothing to do with the showing of Christ's burial, resurrection, uh, the death, burial, and resurrection, and also uh, the continuance of his life. Well, in Colossians chapter 2, I found that there, this is probably the, the best materials that we can find in regards to what it means to uh, follow after baptism. Now, there's a lot of confusion in this world, and I want to make deadly sure that we have a good understanding what baptism is all about. So look at verse 8 and it says, and it says Beware, Colossians chapter 2 verse 8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And you, being dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all the trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Once again, as we take a look, there's, there's so much that is in detail about baptism and Lord's Supper. And, and I, I know in the allotted time that we have that we're not going to get over every little piece of it. However, with that being said, we're going to do everything we can to have a good understanding of where we're at when it comes to baptism. Now, once again, 
uh, we want to understand it. We want to be careful that as a church we practice it correctly and that we administer it as well. So we're going to go to the Lord in prayer. We're going to ask for his direction and his care. Now, Father, we pray that you will go with us as we study thy word together. Help us, dear Father, to uh, enjoy the things that are written in the scripture. Help us to learn the things that you have for us to observe. And Lord, may we not just become uh, a symbolic church, but let us learn that the things that you give are for purpose and for plan. Help us, dear Father, to take these things to heart, guide and direct and keep us, and may we rejoice in you, for it's in Christ we pray. Amen. Now, as I pointed out, that baptism is the first administration that we have when someone makes a profession of faith. I think a lot of times back to the book of Acts chapter 8, in which Philip, who has now gone to uh, the Gaza Strip, if you will, and there he meets an Ethiopian eunuch and he witnesses to him about Christ. Well, when he goes on to a particular way, the Ethiopian eunuch is the one that says, Here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And it was at that moment that Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. What most people don't realize is that modern translations have taken away all of that, that, that conversation. But the, Philip, the Ethiopian eunuch said to Philip, I believe that Jesus Christ is my Savior. In other words, let's go back sure, make sure we have it. Uh, you know, when we take a look at it in Acts chapter 8, the last statement that he made was this. He said, um, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Look at verse 37. He said, And Philip said, If thou believest with all thy heart, thou mayest. And we're going to get into that word mayest as well. He answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. So we have the question, we have the assurance, we have the, the responsibility of baptism. Now I understand this is that we're probably not as prolific with our baptismal needs as we should be. Quite literally, the baptismal waters are there for our, our handling. Uh, I, will, I will tell you this, yesterday as I opened up the tap, I mean the rust has come running out of those water lines. And uh, that lets me know that they probably need to be purged out more often. But wouldn't it be wonderful if on a weekly basis we were adding souls that needed to be brought into the membership because they have confessed Christ as Lord and Savior? Believe it or not, we have one baptism that is now scheduled for uh, the second weekend in November. And uh, I talked to uh, Jessica about this yesterday, and she said that Gracie is ready. And so we're going to administer the baptism as well on that also. And so when we administer the baptism to her, it's going to be a living testimony of her salvation and her confession of faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to get this. We're going to look at the symbolic meaning as well as the regular meaning. If you hold your place here in the book of Colossians, we're going to go over to chapter 28 of Matthew, and we're going to look at the Great Commission as it was given to us to look at. Now, I love this particular passage of Scripture, and it's a brand new paragraph. And we can see this, most of us have a paragraph symbol that is given in Matthew uh, chapter 28 and verse 16. And the reason that there is the paragraph symbol, you know, many times people will say, well, the numeric numbers were never in place during the original writings. While this is true, understand 
that they allowed each sentence to be broke down correctly. So there was already an indention that was there. Uh, you know, I should have brought my uh, Texas Receptus for you all to be able to see that. We understand that the numeric numbers as we see them were not instituted until many, many, many years later. And those were incorporated, believe it or not, by America to help us to understand it as well. But beginning in verse 18, we have this thought, this command of Jesus. Now look what it says. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying. Now who is the Lord addressing? Who is he speaking to? Verse 16 says, Then the eleven, the same eleven that I believe that were at the Lord's Supper, are the same eleven that he gives this great commission to, this church, this responsibility to baptize the believers. Notice again in verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee unto a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So understand this. We are going to be getting into the authority of the church to administer baptism. And I really see something that's going on in many of our churches today, or so-called churches, if you will, that hold on even to the Baptist name, where they're allowing baptism to kind of slip away or slip through the cracks. Look what else it says. Don't you think these baptismal pools more frequently used, then we have to go into the world and preach about Jesus Christ. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Now understand that while I am preaching on the ordinances of the church, this is the order. The order Now we don't is is that when I go out I pick fruit. I don't have to work like Jesus Christ knowing according to Romans chapter eight that the Holy Ghost will take and bring the realization that they need Jesus Christ as their Savior and introduce them to Jesus as the Savior and to the foolishness of preaching allowed that to occur. Once that person has confessed that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior, that person is immediately brought before their congregation. Now, we're going to get into the, that, that order of it as well. The church hears their testament, the church hears their testimony, and then they are voted upon whether they should be baptized or not. Only after they have been baptized is the next verse. Look what it says in verse 20. Teaching them to observe. So there should be a real application to where we can see all Also, in the book of Acts chapter 1, and we also see the same application in Acts chapter 1. Once again, this is the, the, the apostles, after they have met together with the Lord, the eleven are there, they're getting ready to ascend, and the question comes up in verse 6 of chapter 1, it says, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, well, thou... Again, the statement was, 
to its former glory. Now, understand this. The Lord does not rebuke them. He does not chasten them. He does not say anything against what they have asked. Verse 7 says this. And he said unto them, It is not for you, uh, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Even Jesus said he doesn't know when he's going to return. I mean, y'all realize that. Now, I've had a lot of preachers that they get upset at me for saying that that God the Father is the only one that knows exactly when Jesus is going to re return. And they said, oh, it is only part of the Godhead that understands what it's like to come in human flesh. He's the only part of the Godhead that will sacrifice himself for the redemption of souls. He's the only one that understands that. The Holy Spirit points back to Jesus Christ saying he is the redeemer what else does it say so and he said unto them it is not for you to know the time or seasons verse 8 says but you shall receive power where are you going to receive that power that's where the rest of Acts chapter 1 comes into place after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you now I don't think it was a mistake that they were in the upper room seven days because that is a period of prayer, that is a time of separation, that is a time of fasting. They were waiting and they were preparing themselves for the receiving of the Holy Spirit. Man, don't you wish we had more of that? Don't you wish we had more people that were preparing for the empowerment of the preaching of the Word of God more? Look what else it says. Uh, the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea, and in Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Once again, the Lord has pointed out that these things are about to happen. And when they occur, you can rest assured that you... Now, you heard, heard the message that I preached on this morning, how they went to Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey, and how that they presented that as well. And then, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was given to them, and they began to go out and preach with cloven tongues. Uh, you know, one of the things I tell people is they preached, and the Holy Spirit opened the understanding so that all in their own tongue. But I want you to see something very fantastic. In chapter 2, all the way down to verse 41, and I love this passage, because this shows us that the Great Commission is followed through completely. Look what it says in verse 41. Then they that We're not going to get into that. But they have received the
gone through. But I want you to think about this. If 12 men was doing the baptism, those 12 men were busy all the day long, were they not? They were baptizing people saying, I baptize thee my brother in the name of the the part that I labor with. Please understand this congregation. I labor. What is it, Father, that you want for us to do? And they continued steadfastly. You know, I've had many opportunities to visit with several of you all in your homes, you know, on the byways, on the street corners, wherever, and before long, we're right in the Bible studies. Isn't it wonderful that we know the continuance of the Bible and how insightful it is? And they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine. Why do you think it was called the Apostles' Doctrine? Because they preached it. Where did they get it? From Jesus Christ. But they were given the commission. And so they preached the Word of God in its entirety. I mean, they used the Old Testament because that's what they had. And they used the Old Testament and they opened it up and said, the God of creation. Yes, John is writing right now a, a, a beautiful gospel in which that he recognizes that Jesus Christ is the creator of God. Ain't that amazing? And so as they begin to pour out to these people, they practiced and they preached and they preached and they practiced. And they learned. They probably had very little of the Word of God except for those Pharisees that too had been saved. They had, were living testimonies of the particulars of the Old Testament. So they had the, the, the Torah. They had their prophets' writings. They had King David's writings. They had Moses' writings. They had all of them. And they used it in its simplest form to teach the Word of God. See if that's not true. And they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine and Fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayers and fear come on every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the Apostles. But look at the very last verse, verse 47. And they praised God and having favor with all people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Do you realize the baptismal waters are oftentimes going to be disturbed when obedience has taken effect? That's what we need to understand. The obedience of God brings about those things which are right and holy in God. Please understand that. Now, with that in mind, I want us to take a look at a few things together today. First of all, the authority... Here's the thing that really alarms me, and again, I realize that uh, we had a pretty late start today, but here's the thing that really alarms me. The authority to baptize is the permission by this church to take an ordained man and allow him to do the baptism. Now, I am honored that I get to go into the baptismal waters, and in a couple of weeks, I get to baptize Gracie based upon her confession of faith. But now I want you to get this. My work at the moment that Gracie is, is baptized has just begun. My work to her, just like the Sunday school teachers, is to bring 
the full responsibility to let her understand the things that are given. Let me show you one of the first things that we have as a church. In Matthew chapter 3, now we understand that in Matthew chapter 3, there was one man that was preaching. This was John the Baptist. We're going to look in just a moment why John the Baptist was preaching the word of God. But notice this in verse 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. So there was a purpose. There was a reason why Jesus Christ came from Galilee, which was his hometown, and he came down to Jordan to be baptized of John. Why was he baptized of John? I'm going to give this to you. Luke chapter 1. Hold your place here. And again, if I chase you all over the map, that's okay. As long as you got your Bibles flaring, we're in pretty good shape. And Luke chapter 1, I want us to see that the commission that was given to John. Alright? In John, or in Luke chapter 1, there we go. Let's go down to verse 76. Well, in fact, in verse 75. And holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And thou. Now notice the address. And thou. This, he's holding the baby. Now we don't oftentimes hold our children as we should. But do you realize we don't sprinkle our babies to keep them. But we dedicate our babies to the Lord Jesus Christ in hopes that they too will come to know Christ as their Savior. But notice what he said, and thou, child, and thou, common child, this is an address, shall be called the prophet of the highest, for thou shalt go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. Is that not what John did? In fact, so much so that when the, the religious rulers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees came to him, he called them pit vipers. He called them vipers. But notice that he said, you think that you're doing God a service. You're not doing anything. Verse 77 says, to give knowledge of salvation unto his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, whereby the day spring from on high hath visited us, to give light and to them that sit in darkness in the shadows of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was in the desert till the day of his showing unto Israel. You can imagine that when John came on the scene, he must have really been a sight to behold. Here was a man that had that long camel I mean, he was something to behold. And yet when he preached, there was a power. And the And notice again that when Jesus Christ came to John, it was for purpose. And in fact, one of the things that I, I wanted to point out this morning was in John chapter 1, he goes, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. But by him recognizing Jesus, there was even more to come. Now watch this in verse 13. 
of chapter 3 of the book of Matthew. Let's go to Matthew chapter 3, verse 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him. Man, he said, no, no, no. I should be baptized of you. Saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and thou comest thou to me. Notice what Jesus says to him in verse 15. And Jesus answered him, Suffer to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. And he suffered him. Here's what I love about this. John could not pass on his baptism. He was given the authority to baptize. But how many of us remember that the only one, the only case we have of this in the scripture is when we see Apollos in Acts chapter 18, who was a had the authority to baptize. He didn't have that authority. That's why when he was at Ephesus. They said, we've only heard about John's baptism. We don't even know if there is a Christ yet or not. Now watch this. By God giving John the responsibility to baptize, the only one that can pass on the baptism is God. You're going to love this. By John baptizing Jesus Christ, he's returning the authority back to the flesh. And that is to God. Watch. I'm going to show you some more here. You'll love this. Let's go to, uh, if you will, now to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. And look what it says. In verse 25 of John chapter 3 it says, Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptized all men, you know, and all men come unto him. So he's baptized. But wait, there's more. Go down to John chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Look what it says. When therefore the Lord knew how that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. It's in the scripture! Do you the baptizers, not himself. That goes beyond our imagination, doesn't it? You realize that everything we do as a church needs to go beyond what we would call the, the uh, ritual and let it be the natural. So when someone that I know that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior like Gracie did, I'm going to stand with that individual and I'm going to ask, so you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. How many of us remember that day we were saved? How many of us remember that we were asked that question? And maybe we fumbled ourselves over and we, we didn't know exactly how to answer. But then, when that was made, and I want you to understand something. It's been a long time since I've had received someone into the congregation like this. And so I've heard your testimony. Do we have emotion? Do you realize this is the part of the church that many people have failed to remember? It is the church that needs to vote. 
It's the church that needs to bring the individual. And so upon hearing the testimony, I love what Brother Greg did. He said, I vote that we, or I make a motion that we bring Gracie into the congregation and until she's baptized, bring her into the watch care of the church. I'm glad you remembered that part. Because you realize that as a church, we have the responsibility over every person that comes to us for membership. But I'm going to tell you something. Baptism does not guarantee immediate membership. Oh, I just stepped on some toes, didn't I? But let's see if that's not true. Because you see, when we go back to the book of Acts, chapter 2, here is the message. And I want you to get this. Let's go back to Acts chapter 2 and let's go down to verse 41 once again. And let's see what it actually says. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. Stop. How many of you all see right there the colon mark? Do you realize that's the end of the thought? Most of us, we, we, we read it so quickly, we've never really considered the English portion. And the same... In other words, until until we extend the right hand of fellowship and say we receive you into ourselves, that person is not really a membership of this body. How many of y'all knew that? Hiscox was one of the first ones to write about this, about John's baptism. And in fact, every time that we take a look at it, we see the responsibility that is there and the decency of order. What scares me about so much is that we have allowed those people that have claimed to be Baptists to take away even the simplest form of what we know. This is what scares me. What scares me is I've heard churches say, well, we don't want to be bothered having to vote upon somebody that's going to be saved. Why not? Why not? We're going to trust you, Pastor. Bad ordeal. Because that's taken it from the, the entire membership to one person. And the practice that we have every time that somebody is saved is so that future generations will know the order of things that must be done. How many of us knew that? So when the church votes to allow Brother Prater or some other ordained man to now enter into the baptismal waters, then I can take that individual and it is my job to let them know that this is the best time of their life. Many, many years ago, and I realize that we're now going over time, many years ago I got to hear Brother Brian Brown, who was an English Welsh pastor. He, he's from Wales, and he had learned the Word of God while he was in Wales. I'm sure he's gone home to be with the Lord now. And the first time that I heard, I, I, I witnessed as he did a baptism, he's, he looked at the individual and he goes, you do you know how happy I truly am that you have come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. We sometimes take it for granted 
about the baptism that we're about to be ministered to, but how many of us have really understood that we take our salvation for granted? I, in myself, am thus a piece of useless flesh. But in Christ, I've been made special. And baptism should be a ready place for me to say, I'm ready to follow after my Lord. And get this, when I am buried, and by the way, the word buried, baptismo, immersed, sprinkling is not baptism. When I'm immersed into the water, when I bring that soul up, a lot of times I'll say buried in the likeness of his death raised to walk in the newness of life. If we don't believe that, then we better stop. By the authority that is bare in me by this church, I baptize thee, my brother or my sister, in the name, one name, of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And then with joy, I can't wait to present them one more time before the church and saying, this is our beloved brother, our beloved sister. Let's all greet them into the body. How many of us like that? And when they're brought into the body, we weep, we cry, we're excited. We can't wait for that moment, for that to be alive and well. And then the work begins. I get to teach them. And you know where I like to start? Let me tell you about Jesus. You think you know about Jesus? Let me tell you about Jesus. And the more I open the scripture, the more I realize that Jesus is special to me. So the message has been delivered. I hope that everyone that is here today truly knows that Jesus Christ is their Savior and that you have received this special baptism as well. And I pray that the Lord will continue to bless and guide and keep us. Father, again, thank you for the mercies that you show upon us. Help us to be faithful unto you in all things. And we will rejoice in thy holy name, for it's in Christ we pray. Amen. Brother Randy, if you'll come forward.